The Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners, a free-flowing conversation with leaders in the HR community, talking about themselves, the industry, and their work. Brought to you in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association. Welcome to the Hennessy Report. I'm your host, Dave Hennessy. Before I tell you about this episode, a little housekeeping. We're bringing the Hennessy Report on location live at the NERA conference, September 26th to 28th. One of my guests will be the new chair of the board of NERA, Lorraine Goff. Lorraine is also the head of HR at MIT. And we'll have another surprise guest for you down at the NERA conference as well. Also look for later this fall, our biotech series of podcasts, where we'll be interviewing HR leaders in that industry, the very fast-growing biotech sector. And now for this episode's guest, Mark Leary is the head of HR for MFS Investment Management. MFS invented the mutual fund almost 100 years ago. Mark's been there a long time, but not that long. And he started his career not in the HR function. He started in corporate finance, so he brings a unique perspective to this discussion. I've known him for almost 15 years, and I think you'll appreciate Mark's candor and approachability and communication style. With a lot of long-tenure employees and executives, succession is something that Mark is very focused on, so he touches on that. And he gets really specific on how they are working with diversity and inclusion, in particular, the work they've done in unconscious bias training and how that has specifically impacted the behavior of people inside MFS. And now I bring you my discussion with Mark Leary. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Great to be here. It's great to be here on the 35th floor, uh, 111 Huntington, right here at the Prudential Center. We don't have the best view today with the fog rolling in, but these are beautiful offices here. And Mark, I first met you um, many years ago, probably 12, 13 years ago, when you were at the 500 Boylston address, which is also a nice location. But this is definitely beautiful space. You've been here, what, five years? Five years, yes. Yeah, time has gone quickly. Um, I think people didn't want to leave 500 Boylston because it was a great location right in the center of Back Bay. But I think people have grown very accustomed to being here at 111 now. It's a beautiful building. Close to the mall, easy access in and out. Yeah. So it's all It's good. beautiful space. I know you were very intentional and involved in the design of this space. And how has this impacted um, the culture of MFS? Is there anything that's the, just the move here yeah. over five years now, looking back, that's think, changed things? A I think bit? change um, is difficult. I think one of the things we did, and it was intentional, is we put a lot of glass, so a lot of natural light. So most of the offices have glass fronts. Where at uh, 500 Boylston, it was pretty enclosed. And so I think people felt a little more exposed. I think they felt like they lost some privacy. And we do have a lot more open space, which is great for collaboration, which ties in tightly to our culture. So it's it's worked out well. But there was a little bit of a change process that went into getting people in and getting people settled. Mark, it'd be good to hear about um, early your early life experiences and how it influenced who you've become as a professional leader 
inside MFS? Sure. So I am one of six children, and I fall as close to the middle of the pack. I'm number four. Uh, So I think I was uh, always the peacemaker. I was always the translator. I was always trying to keep everybody on the right path. Uh, And as I look back at that now and think about um, my early family situation, it fits well into the HR, you know, mindset, because it's about helping people. It's about keeping people on track. It's about developing and getting the best you can out of people. So I think there's a lot of synergy there, actually. Keeping the team together, right? Well, tell a little bit about your career path, because I don't think you started in HR when you joined MFS. You were not in that function. I was not. And and actually, I I think that having worn multiple hats has uh, lended quite a bit of credibility to the role I'm in today. So I went to Bentley University and I was um, convinced I was going to be an accountant. I learned quickly um, after my first semester that I did not want to be an accountant, <laughs> but that I still was very intrigued and enjoyed uh, finance and all the analytics. So when I graduated from school with uh, bachelor's in finance, I knew I wanted to be in finance. So my quest was what do I do? How do I get into finance? And I had a couple of customer service roles, phone rep positions when I got out of school. But I, when I joined MFS, I was focused on getting into the finance group. And I did. Um, I enjoyed it. And someone saw something in me at the time that I didn't see in myself. The treasurer of our mutual funds, this was many, many years ago, said, you know, you'd be great in human resources. And they have a position that I think, you'd, you know, it's got an analytic component. It was payroll and our retirement plan processing, which was all done in-house at the time. But I went home and scratched my head and said, but I'm a finance guy. I can't see myself in human resources. And I said to my wife, is he crazy or am I crazy? One of us is crazy. (laughs) Uh, But I thought long and hard about it, and I decided that I would make the leap. And what I learned about myself, which wasn't apparent to me but to others, is that I was great with people. I had great people skills. I was big on relationship. I was big on helping folks. And that's what the treasurer saw in me that in my early career I didn't see in myself, Mm -hmm. and it served me very well. That's great. MFS is known for just the consistent and strong culture that you have built here. People don't want to leave. You know, a lot of people (laughs) say it's my final stop here. My final stop is MFS, and you have very low turnover. Can you tell us a little bit about why people want to make this their final stop in the career, why they love it here so much. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, Dave, when you say that, I, I reflect on when I when I um, took the position at MFS, when I entered the firm 30 years ago, I've been here 30 years, which is actually frightening to say aloud because it's a long time. <laughs> but, not unu- <laughs> but not unusual. No, not unusual at MFS, No, right? not unusual. Um, I met a woman at the firm that I was working with at the time that said to me, you will love MFS. It's a wonderful place. Um, People are great. So my response to that was, well, then why are you here if you worked at MFS? And she had been at MFS for almost 15 years. And she said, you know, I started right out of college. I felt like I grew up there and I needed to experience something else. But she said, I have a special place in my heart. So going into MFS, I knew it was a special place. But I think you know, everybody talks about their culture of collaboration and teamwork. So when when you say it, it, it it's just people want to roll their eyes and say, I've heard that, I've seen that. But it is a very special place. I think we take um, great care when we interview and recruit people here because it, it is about fit. And when I say fit, I'm cautious because we don't want people to think fit is you have to look like me, have gone to the same school mm-hmm. as I. Uh, it's about do I embrace teamwork? Do I embrace collaboration? Is it really about the team or is it about me? We do not promote a star system here. 
in any area, including our investment team. It's all about working for the betterment of the team. And mm. so if you believe that and you embrace that, you will have a, a very long and fulfilling career at MFS. And that's why people come and that's why they stay. Yeah. And it, I, I think humility is also one of the things I yes. have recognized and heard from yes. people on your team. Can you talk a little bit about how that shows up and work? Like maybe examples of the teamwork or the or how humility is played out. Yeah, in it's, an example of some sort. It's um, it's a very interesting thing. So, our senior leaders, um, we have no executive benefits at here here at MFS. So everybody is treated the same. Our executive floor, which is the thirty fifth floor, which we are sitting at today, is very different than some of the other floors. But we encourage people to come up. So there's a constant flow of people. Our executives work the floor. They are down in the trenches almost every day. And so it's open door policy. And when I mean that, anyone can come up at any time and talk to anyone provided they're available and not in a meeting. Um, they make themselves available almost to a fault. Um, just nothing is off limits. People feel comfortable uh, speaking. Rob Manning, Mike Roberge, our chairman and CEO, they're constantly down on different floors meeting and greeting. And mm. it, it just makes for a very comfortable not pretentious environment that people really feel compelled to be able to ask whatever questions uh, they want. We do also, as, as we've grown, we're almost 2,000 employees and you know, most uh, are here in the U.S. and most are actually here in Boston at our corporate headquarters. But we, we do multiple all-company meetings um, each year so that people have the ability to hear what's going on in the company, to actually ask questions. We have open mic. So people feel very compelled to ask questions and, and be open. And, and it serves us very well. What are, what are the behaviors of the leaders that, in addition to what you already said, going and being near people in the workplace. It sounds like they, they move around to different floors and they're uh, right in the trenches, as you said. What other things do the leaders do to make sure people know that it's an open door policy and that their ideas are welcome in addition to being present? So what are some of those behaviors yeah, look I, like from a leadership standpoint? I think they actually participate in some of the work that's being done. So if we have what's called a president's council, which is a subgroup of senior leaders that really wrestle issues, you know, current issues to the, to the ground in terms of what are we going to do with this? How are we going to solve this problem? Mike and Rob and anyone from the management committee is welcome to join that group and actually actively engage in some of the discussion and the dialogue. So they become part of the, we're very proud of our player coach mentality. So it's not only do we need senior folks up setting strategy and goals and thinking about the long term, the three, five and 10 year commitment to where we're going to be, but we also need them in the real day-to-day -day issues and understanding kind of the trials and tribulations and how are we getting stuff done. So they actively get involved. Uh, so leaders don't leave the the actual work. They're still, they're connected to the actual That's work. That's exactly correct. They're involved. They want to be involved. And now I will tell you, sometimes the player coach mentality gets in the way because sometimes we need some of our senior folks to do more of the leadership stuff and less of the work. Mm. But that element of being able to stay up at the top, thinking about strategy and diving into the detail is a critical component yeah. to our success. But it is something that's some, sometimes more difficult for some to do than others. Sure. But everyone on our management committee is very, very good at that. You, you mentioned um, international growth and uh, you're accelerating internationally and globally. Can you talk a little bit about some of the opportunities that's presented for MFS and maybe some challenges from a, a leadership and human yeah. resources point of view? Yep. Uh, we have been very deliberate in our growth uh, abroad. So when I started, we 
were a domestic shop, so we had no overseas resources. We've grown now to almost 300 um, employees offshore in probably 21 countries. Now, some of those um, spots are, are small sales offices, but some of our bigger offices, obviously, the UK is big, Canada is big. In Toronto, we've got um, a sizable operation in Japan and in Singapore and Australia. Uh, I think the secret to our success has been organic growth. So we haven't done the merger and acquisition. We've positioned culture carriers in each of those locations so they can help foster, support, and grow the culture. All of our offices look identical. So if you were to walk into our Singapore office, the look and feel of the office is exactly the same. Mm. Um, and the we've done a fabulous job of really porting our culture into each of these locations. I would tell you most of the folks now that sit in all those offshore locations are native to that region. We produce this podcast, as you know, Mark, in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association. And uh, we have, they have a young professionals group called NERA YP. And we have the NERA YP question of the podcast. And this Great. comes from Harley Durkin. She is uh, an HR business partner at 128 Technology. And her question is, what is your strategy for hiring more women? especially in technology, but we might have a follow-up question for you sure. based on your industry. Sure. Um, that's a great question and one that we've wrestled to the floor on many different occasions. I think the secret to success on hiring more women is really casting a broader net. I think there's a stigma, to be honest, around financial services, and I think um, oftentimes women deselect even considering asset management or financial services because they feel that they can't have it all. And when I say have it all, have a, a really fulfilling career, be able to have a family and all the other things that you do uh, outside of work that provides that balance. So I think two things. One is casting a broader net so that you're, you're capturing more women in the candidate and diverse, quite frankly, mm. uh, ethnically diverse candidates in the pool. And then education, going out to these schools and talking about what this business really is mm. so that they don't deselect before they actually become part of the candidate pool. Mm. Um, so we think education is critically important so people understand really what it is and what it isn't and why they can have a fulfilling and successful career in this industry. We've actually had great success with that. So what we typically will do is we've got a great um, college intern program, but we get folks that are very connected to, you know, that to their colleges that will actually go out and help, you know, talk about MFS, what the industry is, what positions are available and what the, you know, what there is to, to gain from working in this industry. And it's been successful, but that's something that takes a long time to cultivate and actually nurture and grow. As I mentioned earlier, our whole recruitment process is very elaborate because we we look for fit. So we want people that embrace the tenets of our culture. Um, but in especially on the investment side, they're put through a pretty rigorous stock pitch. And I think it's just inherent in gender differences that men and women present and pitch very differently. And I think, although difficult to really pinpoint, I think there is inherent unconscious bias in the way men and women um, view differences in the way someone would stock pitch. So we, we've spent a ton of time teaching and, and pushing unconscious bias training, not only to our investment team, but throughout the firm. Uh, we're not completely done and hitting every area, but helping people 
grasp some of those differences that they will see when they're interviewing people, when they're meeting people, uh, things they're not even aware of. And they're very simple, um, minor things that could immediately shift someone's opinion of someone. So again, sourcing in broader pools, capturing unlikely candidates. You know, Rob Manning was uh, first generation in his family to go to school, but he often says most asset management firms get stuck focused on you know, the top 10 business schools in the country. And he said, you find talent everywhere. So mm -hmm. we're we're all about going much broader. It mm -hmm. doesn't have to be someone from a top 10 business school. Mm -hmm. So digging in different, you know, in different mm -hmm. pools and finding the appropriate resources. So I think it's education. I think it's um, broader networking and really being conscious of how we source. And I would tell you, one of the things that's critically important to us we are looking for the best talent. So we're not stuck with quotas or benchmarks in terms of we need X amount of women this year in our investment team. We want the best candidates, but we want to make sure we're pulling in the best men, women, all diverse candidates so that we have a great uh, pool to pick from. And then how does the... How do you link that to a behavioral change in the organization? Well, what happens next? Well, I think I think getting managers, just general manager comfort around unconscious bias and what they need to be thinking about and what they need to be doing with their teams right. is critically important because it's not just about recruiting. It's oh. about the workplace and it's about the staff meetings and it's about the interactions. It could be a performance appraisal. It could just be a meeting. Understanding some of those oh, tenets. bigger than just yes, recruiting, yeah. Being self-aware of the discourse you have with someone and understanding you're 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 pushing things aside and you're not even aware that you're doing it we all have them everybody has certain unconscious bias and i think the the premise behind this training isn't for you to identify every unconscious bias you have it's being self-aware in the moment yeah. so that you can catch yourself and say hey maybe i'm not being fair or maybe i'm dismissing something too quickly and i should step back right getting it right done. and you you have a diversity and inclusion leader here, yes and maybe you can touch on um what else you're doing and dni in general well you know i think back on our journey with dni and um to be honest with you we had a quite a few false starts so we 15 years ago we started a valuing differences group at mfs it was a very large group and it was a very diverse group so we thought we were we were off and we were going to change the world mm. and change everything we did at mfs what we soon learned is the group was too big. We were trying to, as I like to refer to, boil the ocean, um, which became a disaster. <laughs> we'll <try> to do <laughs> that. Yes. And so I think what happened is we tried to tackle too many things. We really only hit surface. You know, we only got below the surface and it ended up becoming more of a situation where people got together and complained about the things we weren't doing and not focusing on the things we could do and mm. what could we drive forward. So we stepped back. We hired um, a woman to, to join the firm. Her name is Colleen Richards-Powell. She's great. Um, she joined us about two and a half years ago, and her focus was diversity and inclusion and corporate citizenship. And we've got great corporate citizenship programs. So she helped broaden the work that's done there. But we put those two together because there is synergy around diversity mm and corporate citizenship in the work that we do. Absolutely, in especially what you were talking about before, about educating oh, people about this industry if they're absolutely. not considering it. It's all connected. It right? is. It's yep. all connected. But she's come in, and what I love about the work she's done is it's the it's not the – people, I think, assumed there was going to be immediate results. It's about building a strategy. It's about setting – 
the tone. It's about putting a time frame together, and it's it's about picking three or four things uh, that you want to focus on. Mm. So for us, education was critically important. Yep. We want everybody to be at the same place. She would tell you that diversity and inclusion is oftentimes very uncomfortable for people to talk about because they just don't know what it means. Mm. It means something different to everyone. So getting that common nomenclature and just that lexicon mm. um, out there is critically important. Then education is really important. And then doing some of these resource, these employee resource groups is critically important because you get that grassroots initiative on what's important and what do we need to focus on. And, you know, you could have 20 smart people sitting in a room thinking about it, but getting these resource groups together and really picking their brains and getting some really critical ideas that we can focus on has been very successful. So I think in order to really be successful in the diversity inclusion space, you've got to come at it from both ends. It's got to be grassroots. It's got to be what's important to the employees. And it's also got to be driven from the top. You need to know that your senior leaders have bought into this, which ours have, Mm. um, and that it's critically important. And I think you meet in the middle. And that's just about where we are today. Right. Broader on HR, Mark, uh, what's what's your HR philosophy here at MFS? And you have great teamwork that you've built. Uh, what, are the, what are the kinds of things that you're focused on in your philosophy in yep. HR in general? So it's strategic partnerships. So we, you know, I think one of the biggest uh, misconceptions around HR is we're administrative and we're paper pushers and we fire people and we hire people. And we do do all of that, but we do a whole lot more as well. It's how do we integrate ourselves into the business and add value, add resources. And so we're in the process here at MFS now of reinventing and transforming, which is a big word that everyone uses nowadays, transforming our department. And that is making sure that our business partners are equipped to be that strategic partner at the table, um, to be able to push back on something that doesn't make sense, to be able to add value to a topic when you know there's something involved in talent or performance uh, management related. I would say two of the biggest things we're focused on now is talent management. Talent management is critically important, continuing mm-hmm. to build the bench mm-hmm. so that MFS continues to be wildly successful long after I've retired. Um, so that's critically important. But what's most important about that is it can't be driven by HR. It has to be business driven. Mm-hmm. They need to understand the value and they need to drive the business with our support and our, our guidance. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that we're focused critically on succession management, which ties tightly into um, talent management is mm-hmm. critically important. We are, you know, a majority owned subsidiary of Sun Life of Canada and the board is very, in fact, I just came back from an early August meeting with the board to talk about our succession management and the work that we're doing in that space. So sure. um, we continue to really push that because we do have a high population of folks at MFS that have been here a long time, like myself, that 10 years from now may not be here any longer. And so how will we garnering the resources and the and the bench strength of the folks below us to be ready to step into those roles. Right. Mark, when your career is over um, at MFS, what do you hope to be remembered for? Or, you know, what are you proudest of so far? Well, I think there's a lot to be proud of as I think about my role and even my tenure at MFS. So I, I, I think one of the things that um, has served me well, me personally, and then I'll talk about my team and HR, is the ability to garner strong relationships and credibility with the business and having that credibility affords you a whole host of opportunity to help in ways that you know maybe you didn't think you could do of course you had an advantage coming in being in the business absolutely right? so, yes absolutely yeah. i would say that's absolutely true but i think what in my tenure so i'm the longest standing hr head of hr at mfs in in the history of the firm so 
12 years I've been uh, leading the group and I have a great team of people. So it's, it's all about them and less about me. But what I think we've been able to do as a team at MFS is really secure a strategic position at the top. I sit on the management committee. I'm involved in all of the communications and strategy discussions. I talk um, at length with all of my peers up here about what keeps them up at night and what we can do to support them. And um, I think that seat is very solid. And I think when I think about when I started in, in, in HR here at MFS and how we've transformed the, our roles, it's been quite incredible because we have senior business partners that sit at staff meetings every day that are called upon uh, really for advice and counsel. And it's it's all about that. It's a, It's about building the relationship. It's about solving business problems. And it's really about helping them be as effective and as productive as they can be so that we continue to flourish from a business perspective. And uh, that position is has never been stronger. And I, I have to give credit to our, our senior leaders here, but Mike and Rob, our chairman and CEO, totally embrace and support the human resource philosophy. It's all about human capital, right? And what Rob Manning told me when I took this position 12 years ago, he said, you will have failed if you don't position someone on your team to take your place when you're ready to retire because... MFS is a unique place with a unique culture, and it has to be someone who's lived here for a period of time and really understands all the nuances and the quirkiness, to be quite honest, of what we do. Mm. Uh, And I have thought about that long and hard, and I've got quite a few very strong people that would be able to step into my role. So that's that's the good news. Was there ever a moment in your career, Mark, where you're like, oh, this is a total disaster, and it ended up being the best thing? At MFS, we tend to be conservative, and we... um, it's almost 10 years now. I think it was 2000, maybe it's eight years. We jumped off the ledge. We were a PeopleSoft shop. And this is probably diving way deeper, Dave, than you want. But we made the decision that we were going to go with Workday, which is a huge, oh, sure. was a huge success. But we were like, and I have the mug over there to prove it, client 139. So they were small and they were still kind of unknown. And I remember Rob Manning saying to me, is this a really good choice to, to, to put all of our stuff out in the cloud and be like at the startup? What year was this? Uh, 2010. So that is really early. We're starting yes. to really hear about work yes. day in the last work three to five huge. years. So yeah, that were But I did go home a few ago. nights saying, oh my God, what have I done? We can't turn back. Um, and it turned out to be one of the biggest successes. In fact, our, our chief technology officer now uses us as, a, as the template of this is really a good thing. And HR is in the cloud. And we... We need to do more of this work. But there were some dark moments when we were in the middle of our conversion on this is either going to make my career or break my career. What else does MFS do to keep up with the leading edge technology or thinking? What other stuff do you do in that area? So we, you know, we for many years, actually, I think we probably took a very conservative approach on Mm. our technology and even in our marketing. I mean, we don't do a lot of splash. It's not who we are. Um, But I think we've spent a lot of time, money, and resources on upgrading technologies, whether it's our CRM system in the sales organization or even some of our trading systems and platforms that support and serve our investment team. We Mm. spent a lot of time and effort there. Um, We've even spent a lot of time in our marketing space. Digital is so critically important. Mm. Um, And, you know, like everybody else, we're in the middle of thinking about robotics, uh, robotic process automation. Where can we? AI, sure. Yeah, all the AI. I keep telling our chief technology officer, I want a chatbot that can help us screen just on the you know recruiting side chatbots screen 
candidates, when you post a position and get 300 resumes, mm. how do you weed them down to something that's more manageable? Right. Chatbots can do that mm -hmm. if you program them appropriately. So those are areas that we continue to focus on. And like everybody else, we're interested in data scientists and how do we really get in front of predictive analytics and what mm. can that do for us? So we're really pushing in that space. Yeah. What would you recommend for HR professionals if you could give advice to HR leaders that are up and coming in the field? Yeah. What would you recommend to them? So my, my recommendation is, and not because it's how I grew up in this business, it, it is to really spend time in other parts of the organization. It lends itself very well. There's a high degree of credibility when you can openly say you've worked in a part of the business. Oftentimes, HR professionals get dismissed because there's a lot of theory around you know, what they're thinking and how would you know you've not been in the business or mm -hmm. you haven't sat in my shoes. So I think having pragmatic business experience somewhere else in the business is critically important. And I know it served me well because I, I, I said earlier I'd been at MFS for 30 years, um, but I really had five separate and distinct career opportunities here at MFS, mm. which only two were in HR and mm. the other three were outside in different business units. And I think that's lent itself well to the ability, my credibility and the ability to, to help people understand so, that I get it. I get yeah. the challenges you have in your business and we want to help you. Right. So get into other functions or other yes. roles, other yep. divisions of a company. That's exactly get the exposure. right. Okay. Right. Great advice. This is a question I've been asking. I love this question. <laughs> and one of my former guests, Beth Gross at TripAdvisor, gave us this question. It's, if you could give advice to your younger self, write a letter to Mark Leary at 30 years old. Oh. What would you write in that letter? Um, I think if I were to give my advice to myself now, I think... Um, maybe taking more time to step back and, and celebrate successes and maybe smell the roses. I think this industry is fast-paced. It's dynamic. It's constantly changing. You're always moving on to the next, which is very exciting. But I don't think we often take the time to celebrate successes, smell the roses, and enjoy some of the, you know, at, the, at different stages what you've accomplished and, you know, kind of mm. think about where you're going. It, 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 so take stock along the way yes, a little bit more. Yes, and, I yeah. think I think we find ourselves moving on to the next situation, the next issue, the next problem, and not really stepping back and really being grateful and thinking about all the things we've done. Mark, how do you define success? You know, that's an interesting question, Dave, and, and one that I, I often contemplate. But one of the things I learned from one of my mentors here at MFS is you don't always have to be the brightest person in the room. You don't always have to be the one that leads the discussion. You need to surround yourself with bright, insightful people and let them do their thing and everybody looks good. So the, the, again, it, it, it lends itself well to the culture here at MFS and the team orientation that we foster, but it is about letting everyone be their best self and so not always trying to be the center of the universe. What's at the top of your bucket list? Well, I just um, renovated a, a house on the Cape in Bourne and um, you know, I still have young children, so we're in a fast-paced space where we don't get as much time. But really, bucket list is spending, this probably sounds lame, but it is spending more time at this beautiful property that we have that sits on the water. <laughs> That's number one. Um, a second bucket list item is doing a bike tour in France. I've always wanted to do that. Um, and I think Tour de France, Mark Leary style, no, <laughs> yeah, not quite as robust <laughs> yeah. as that, but yes, uh, yeah, modified, the rolling modified. hills of Provence. I can see myself <laughs> sipping a little wine, uh, riding my bike, but I'd love to do a, that's on the bucket list and it will be checked off at some All right, point. That's great. Name a book that's changed your life. 
So, you know, I, I think about this and I read a lot of books, as you would expect. Um, in this business, it's always good to stay current. But I think one in my earlier career that um, I loved, and it was quick, it was a quick read, it was called The One Minute Manager. Mm. And what it did for me back in my earlier career is really helped me think about how can I be effective in small, you know, small point at different points in and out quickly and i refer to it all the time even even in you know in my career as as the head of hr and that is how do you give quick feedback positive negative or you know an opportunity if need be and how do you really drive certain points home that so that people really understand and are connected so that's helped me tremendously that's such a good point too because most of our interactions are these short ones if you can make those effective meaningful And yeah. and as you think about performance management today and the push to strip away some of the ratings because people get hung up on performance ratings, yes. it's really that forward-looking, you know, Dave, you did that great, but here's something you could do differently the next time. I mean, right. in the moment, quick, easy, not long and drawn out, and not something that you say, you know, Dave, as we yeah. think about your year and review back in January, you did. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, it, it, so it's this, not it as So this was a impactful. book ahead of its time in exactly. a way, right? Because that's where a lot of performance is going to this. Yes, more regular check-ins and yeah and it so. was a quick read it was 80 pages it was done in two hours it was great thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast mark it was great thanks for having me i really enjoyed it thank you for listening to the hennessy report from keystone partners be sure to subscribe to listen to all of our conversations with leaders in hr Go to keystonepartners.com and click on the podcast button.